This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB blends accuracy and readability, giving pastors a translation they can trust and lay people a Bible they can enjoy. Find out more at csbible.com. So I grew up in a small town called Joplin, Missouri, which has since become a little bit more well-known because of uh, tornadoes that kind of wiped it out a few years back, like 10 years ago. But I I grew up the son of a um, seminary president. So it's kind of like a pastor's kid, a little bit more academic. So, you know, in this small town, you know, you kind of had that same vibe of growing up as a a preacher's kid. And so I thought— uh, over the years that I was going to be involved in ministry in some way. And then when I got into high school, swore that would never happen. And then God kind of opened up some doors. So, you know, when I was a freshman in college, I needed, to be honest, I needed to make a little bit of money. And yeah. so there's this small church up the road that ran like 30 or 40 people. It's called Christ Church of Perseverance. And so they needed somebody to preach on the weekend. And my dad's secretary, because again, he was seminary president, she yeah. she said, hey, it's Thursday. They need somebody to preach on Sunday. Can you do it? It's $50. And I'm like, well, I, I, there's no way I'm going to be a preacher, but I'll do this because right. I could use 50 bucks. Right. And so I went and I preached at this little church. Um, and then like when it was over, they said, you want to come back next weekend? And I'm like, 50, 50 bucks? Yeah, 50 bucks? Yeah, okay, I'll come back next weekend. So I'm like 19 at the time. And, and so I did this for five or six weekends. And then I remember one weekend after I finished preaching, I walked out in the lobby. They have a piece of paper and it says on there, you know, Kyle Eidelman, senior pastor. I'm like, oh, okay. So this happened then. <laughs> this means 50 bucks every week. <laughs> yeah, 50 bucks every week. But as long as we all understand, I'm not really going to be a pastor or preacher. Yeah. So I, you know, I like to think that God kind of tricked me into mm. doing this, that I didn't have a burning bush moment. I had kind of the opposite of whatever that would be. Mm. I, you know, I was doing it and then I realized how much I loved the church, how much I loved the the people there, mm. and discovered that I, I loved preaching. But it was, it was, was a you know it was a great experience that uh, and learning to to love people that if you're doing it for any other mm-hmm. reason other than loving God and loving people you're gonna get burnt out and mm-hmm. it's not gonna work I you know this, this church a lot of people can probably relate to this if they grew up in a small church like this but you know we would start off each service doing uh, like a pledge allegiance to the American flag and oh, wow. pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and <laughs> and my favorite part is they had this they would sing this happy birthday song uh, in the service every single week oh, wow. and then so they would finish this birthday song this and is then, for whoever's birthday was well, that week yes or? but they didn't know so this was the catch <laughs> right so they would sing this birthday song and then they would say does anyone have a birthday after we sing the song so like one one of my first official moves as pastor is like, hey, what if we find out if it's anyone's birthday? And then if someone has a birthday, we'll sing the birthday song. Right. And they're like, no, no, we're not <laughs> going to do that. We've always done it this way. So we continue to sing the birthday song. And then does anyone have a birthday? And yeah, when, you know, there's 30 or 40 people in the church. Most weekends, no one has a birthday. Right. And uh, so, you know, it was it was a uh, it was a great place to to learn about pastoring and loving people and, yeah. and caring for people where they were. There's a pine wobbler sitting on a hollow limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of 
over him with everything he sings From the branch that he's sitting on It seems to hush the leaves and the colors all around Now first he sings and then he goes And what it means, it's hard to know You're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosper, and on today's episode, I'm talking to pastor and author Kyle Eidelman. Kyle's the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church, one of the largest churches in North America. I don't talk to a lot of pastors on this show, but I had the opportunity to talk to Kyle and was eager to hear what life is like inside such a large church, how God led him there, how he thinks about his role. It's a great conversation, so stay with us. Let's back up a little bit. I'm curious, kind of, what what was the spiritual atmosphere of your home? I mean, obviously, with your dad being a seminary president, was faith as a kid something that felt very academic and very kind of lofty, or or did it feel real personal and intimate? You know, I, I guess with my parents, that what they modeled was something more personal and intimate. I think mm-hmm. what would be similar that it, from talking to a lot of pastors' kids is, you know, not necessarily feeling like, you know, it's safe to be vulnerable, like, hey, mm. it's okay for us to have struggles and it's okay for us to have challenges. You know, it had that uh, that dynamic of we, we need to make sure that, you know, we're setting a good example for everybody by not having any right. struggles. And and that's not to say it was fake or I, I'm sure never felt like that. You know, my, my parents are, are very genuine followers of Jesus who sure. I greatly admire. You know, my dad has long been one of my spiritual heroes, but just the culture of that, you know, looking back on it, you know, I kind of go into the Christian school and go right. into, a, you know, a smaller community church and just feeling like, yeah, you know, all the eyes are on you. But I never felt that from my parents. I, you know, I never sensed any pressure to mm. be in ministry. You know, I, I don't ever remember my, my dad trying to direct me down that path mm. at all, you know, just just encouraging me more based on who I was rather than what I did. And that's so great. I'm very thankful for, you know, for that. Yeah, that's great. You said when you were in, in high school, you swore you'd never go into ministry. What was that about? Uh, you know, I think uh, it was mostly about expectations and, mm. you know, just the sense that, oh, that's what he should do. Or that's, you know, since you're a little kid, people are saying things mm-hmm. like, are you going to be a preacher when you grow up? And just being determined to kind of go my own way. And yeah. and honestly, uh, you know, being a church planter kind of resolved that in my spirit mm. because it, it allowed me to to do it a little bit differently and mm-hmm. to go a different direction. But it, it had more to do with, with that kind of pressure or that mm-hmm. kind of expectation. Because were, were you like super involved in church there yeah, when the doors were the open? Whole, right. The whole deal. So, you know, Sunday yeah. morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, yeah our small groups. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. We, we would do Monday night calling, like, like the high school kids would go with yeah. the youth better. We'd go knock on people's doors and, you uh-huh. know, so it was, you know, it was pretty hardcore. And then for when I was uh, like 16, I, the job I got, have you ever heard of precious moments figurines? Oh, do you know yeah. what these are? They're like oh, the little yeah. teardrop figurines. My sister and my mom, they were all over our <laughs> house. Oh yeah. yeah. Big time. So that originated from my hometown. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I became a precious moments tour guide <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd take these elderly ladies around, you know, looking at all 
all these precious moments things and telling them the the uh, story behind the story and and they would all tell me I was going to be a preacher. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, so I think that was it. You know, more the yeah. a, a pressure that um, yeah, I didn't. I just didn't want to have. Yeah, you knew by the time you were. You became that senior pastor, like yeah. ministry was the direction you were headed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I knew by the time I started preaching that I, I loved to, yeah. to preach. And more than loving to preach as far as standing up and preaching, I really enjoyed the preparation side. Mm. And I didn't realize that that was unusual. Like, mm. I didn't realize that a lot of preachers like to preach, but they don't necessarily like to, right. to study. Right. You know, that was... I, I knew I enjoyed that aspect of it mm. as, as much as anything. And um, so, yeah, God kind of tricked me into it. I, yeah. was, I was doing it and then felt called to do it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, did you meet your wife around that time? Mm, yeah, I met my wife the first day of uh, of, uh, <laughs> of Bible college. So so I knew from growing up as a president's son that uh, you have to act quickly because of upperclassmen on, <laughs> you know, with the... the um, the freshman. So she came in as a freshman. I was a freshman. And so day one, I was like, okay, the upperclassmen aren't on campus yet. This is my opportunity. Right. And uh, so we went on a date that night and got married a year later. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you, were you 19 when you got married? 19. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was 19 when I got married. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things we always, my wife and I always say, we don't regret it. Right. But boy, was it hard. <laughs> you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you, you know, it doesn't really matter. If you get married at 19 or, or 29, hmm. you, the challenge, you're going to have a lot of challenges, right? Like yeah. at 19, you're kind of growing up together. At 29, you're you're carrying stuff with you that you're going to have to deal with. You, right. you know, it, eh, they're going to have challenges no matter what. Kyle finished college and came straight to Southeast Christian Church, which is in Louisville, for an internship. After the internship, he began looking for opportunities to pastor, and in particular, to preach. But those opportunities didn't come together right away. And this was before the days that, you know, church planting was all the rage. I mean, I did not have really any class on church planting that Mm. at that time was offered. You know, it just was. This would have been late 90s or? Yeah, this would have been like uh, 98. Okay. Yeah. Kind of right on the cusp of that. And and so, but eventually I came to the realization, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to preach, I'm going to need to plant a church to preach at because Mm. that's the way it's going to go down. And then there's a church in um, uh, Simi Valley in Los Angeles County that, um, that was going to be planting a church and Mm. invited me to come out and, and, you know, preach at their established church. And then after a year or so, take some folks and go plant a new church. And so it it was a a tremendous opportunity. I learned, you know, a ton, but uh, had no idea what I was doing. I I mean, (laughs) I just was completely oblivious. I went to this church planting conference by myself when I knew I was going to plant a church, trying to learn some things because I'd been reading like business books and trying to think of church plant, like starting a business, kind right. of a, kind of an entrepreneurial approach towards ministry, which can be really unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it uh, you start thinking of the gospel as a product that you're trying to sell and you inevitably are going to start looking at attendance as success, you know, these mm-hmm. are customers. And so there were some dangerous things I didn't realize, connections yeah. I was making. And then I went to this church planning conference, didn't know anyone. And then uh, Dave Ferguson, you know, Dave. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, you know, at, at that time, I didn't really have any idea who he was. And and um, and again, all this was just kind of at the beginning, but he, he saw that I was by myself and said to me, hey, do you want to just hang out with our staff mm-hmm. at this church planning conference? I see you by yourself. And I'm like, man, that would be awesome. Again, I was yeah. like 21, 22. 
And so I hung out with him and his staff during this conference. Then maybe a month later, he picks up the phone, he calls me, says, hey, I know you're playing this church. Just mm. wanted to check on you, see how you're doing. Mm. You know, another month or two later, I get another phone call. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the dude was totally, mm. you know, uh, looking out for me and, yeah. and making sure I was doing okay. He saw that I was in way over my head. Right. And he saw that I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't really have anybody to help me mm. and just took it upon himself to say, um, you know, I'm here for you. Mm. And, um, you know, I never even thought of him as kind of a mentor yeah. until he was, you know, mentoring me. Right. And uh, and so I am incredibly grateful for him and for, for some others who I didn't, I didn't ask for help from, mm. but I really needed help and they saw mm. it and decided they were gonna help me. Did you feel like church planting was like a, was a good fit for you personality-wise and and kind of with your own drive or or Yes, I did feel like it was a great fit. I love church planting. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a lot of church planters are this way, but you know, my approach going into it is I really didn't have any idea what kind of church I wanted to plant. I just knew what kind of church I didn't want to plant. Right. Which is probably not the way to approach it, <laughs> right. but right. but I have since decided that that's not an unusual mentality for a yeah. church planner is to say, I don't know what I want it to be, but I know what I don't want it to be. And and so that was kind of the attitude, kind of the spirit I had going into it. You know, God put us in a in a place where there was tremendous growth, right? Mm. Like a, uh, with church planting, a lot of it is, you know, where you're at and when you're there. So we were in uh, North LA County at a time where it was kind of exploding. Mm. So we started meeting in a movie theater. And again, there wasn't a lot of precedent for this at the time. There wasn't a lot of mm -hmm. pioneering work to learn from. Uh, but we were doing like five services in these movie theaters on a Sunday morning. And, wow. and uh, it quickly grew to, you know, around a thousand people. You know, one of my early memories was was, you know, we were trying to find a place to do an Easter service where we could all gather together. And yeah. Six Flags Magic Mountain in, <laughs> uh, in in California, they had this amphitheater. And so I worked out this deal with the, the people who ran Six Flags where we could have our Easter services there and then everybody could stay for <laughs> Easter and enjoy Easter at Six Flags, yeah. which I thought was awesome. You know, I thought, well, this is going to be incredible. Yeah. Man, you should have read my letters that came in from other churches, you know, really? I, oh golly, I, it was amazing how, you know, how they felt like I was filing Easter, you, wow. you know, by having it at a, at an amusement park. And now <laughs> I, I'm like, well, that wasn't, I just needed a place to meet. And right. this was, was, this was a, you know, free add on. But so we, we did that for a few years and, and, uh, and it was a great <laughs> success. I think that's one of the things I was surprised as a church planter mm. is I thought the community or the brotherhood of mm -hmm. churches in the community community would rally around yeah. and I experienced that that was not the case. Yeah. Like they were not necessarily excited that I was there, even yeah. though there was a huge growth in that area and a huge need. That's not necessarily the spirit, which I, you know, in hindsight, I'm really thankful for because I realized that God used that to shape yeah. how I, you know, now view new churches and, right. and such. But, yeah. It's funny. We, you know, I helped plant Sojourn Church here in the city as, as well, and we experienced the exact same thing where, you know, we were, we were Southern Baptist Church, and there were a lot of churches in the association that were really upset of the idea of a new church coming into—we planted in a neighborhood called the Highlands, 
And they're like, well, there's, there's Baptist churches there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but nobody who looks like us is yeah. there. Yeah. You know, there's, you'd think there'd be this generosity and this openness, but people are very territorial yeah. uh, about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the human nature side. I think some of that has gotten a little bit better over mm-hmm. the years as, you know, churches, I feel like churches are, uh, maybe it's just my perspective has changed, but mm-hmm. from where I sit, I see a little more generous spirit in yeah. that. But well, at I think the time, I was pretty disillusioned. By yeah, it. I think church planning is maybe a little more mainstream now, and maybe people that's it. they yes. hear about yeah, it more. They, and I'm curious, you know, one of the things that I think of when I think about you, your your preaching style, your your approach to preaching is often very much driven by stories, mm-hmm. stories you've encountered or stories from the scriptures or whatever. Was storytelling always something? That, that came natural to you? Do you come from a family of storytellers? Like what helped to f- sort of form that piece of your preaching? Yeah, you know, I, I think actually it was the opposite. So I okay. think coming out of a more academic uh, setting growing hmm. up um, kind of pushed me towards a, more of a storytelling approach. And, hmm. and and I also think that, you know, for me, I learned pretty early on that if I don't know the stories of the people I'm preaching to, sermons are a lot more difficult to write. Mm. Like I, for example, when I came to Southeast, I, I, after a few months was ready to move back to California. You know, it, it was just too big and too overwhelming. I was having a hard time writing sermons and felt empty when I was preaching. And then I was studying a passage from um, Luke 8, where you know, it's the story of the of the woman who touches the hem of, of Jesus' clothes and she's healed. And then um, Jesus, you know, is looking for who touched him and, you know, said, power has gone out for me. And then there's this phrase in Luke 8, it says that the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, that you know, she re- reveals herself, but she realized that Jesus wasn't going to let her go unnoticed. And mm. so a few months into being at Southeast, I realized that this was what I was missing. Like people are just going unnoticed and that's on me. Yeah. Like I need to, mm. I need to be a lot more intentional of, about noticing people. Yeah. And so I changed some things up instead of like uh, shaking hands and, you know, saying hi to people as they're coming in and out. I started meeting with people before and after services mm. to pray with people individually, you know, for t- 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and as I learned more of the names and more of the stories from people in the church, the more my heart engaged with what God was doing here, the more mm. I loved preaching here. And, but I had to work at it. In a church plant, it just comes to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like those stories, you can't right. really avoid them. They, you know, you just, that's your life. Yeah. Um, at, at a church like Southeast, you have to work at it a little yeah. bit. And um, and that's what, you know, I, I discovered is that I, you know, I need to know the people that I'm preaching to. Mm-hmm. And so even now when I'm writing a sermon, I, I know other pastors who do this, but they'll write a name or two mm-hmm. of, uh, of people that they know could really be encouraged or challenged by a message. They'll write that at the yep. you know, top of their document and have that person in mind. And I try to approach it that way. I, mm. I try to think, okay, what you know, what does this person need to hear? And that tends to lend itself to a more narrative approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I think very rarely do you sit down with someone who's struggling or going through a challenge and go academic on them, right? right? Like, I mean, there's... It's about doctrine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there certainly is a balance there. To me, the narrative approach, you know, it's, it's a matching genre of its genre. So if you're listening to stories of people, it's going to, and that's what's compelling your preaching, then your mm. preaching is going to reflect that, yeah. that as well. That makes sense. How do you, how do you manage that? Because, I mean, this is a church with 
it's, it's a five digit church. I don't know the exact numbers, but five digits in, in attendance. I'm hearing you kind of talk about this, this need for those personal connections. Obviously you can't do that for everybody. Right. So how do you manage that? Yeah, I think the you know the the easiest thing to say is well I can't do that for everybody so I'm not going to do that for anybody. Yeah. That's it's a very it's it's very easy to get into that mentality. And um, and so the way I have kind of wrestled around that is by you know saying things like I'll, I'll meet with anybody. I I mm-hmm. might not be able to meet with you for, you know, an hour, but mm-hmm. I'll meet with anybody for 15 or 20 minutes and mm-hmm. and you know, it may not be tomorrow. It, it might have to be in a in a week or two. No. Uh but but I would love to sit down and and talk to you and pray with you and hear about you. Uh, and, and then I might try to connect them to someone else, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep praying for that person. One of the things we do is uh, after after services on the weekend, if people are new to the church, we'll sit down to talk to them, but we're really you know, my intent is is not to give them information about the church. I, I really want to listen to their story, and I, I want to pray for them personally. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on that I uh, that I can pray for you, and then and I'll keep praying for them throughout the week. And so, you know, to me, it is just wanting to say yes to the yeah. people that you know God has has put in in your path. You know, it, it some weeks it's hard to manage, but you know, mm-hmm. people are incredibly gracious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been surprised if I tell someone, hey, it's going to be a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. They're cool with that. They yeah. understand. They're pretty sympathetic and understanding. And in the meantime, hey, here's some other. Here's a few other pastors that, yeah. if you'd love to, you know, if you'd like to reach out to them, they'd love to connect with you. You know, the I had a pastor uh, on staff here actually. You know, really challenged me on some of this stuff a number of years ago. He said, you know, I, I can see that you put some walls around yourself because you're trying to survive. You know, you've mm-hmm. got, there's a lot of people around you, so you put your walls around. He's, and, and his challenge was, you know, what you think you're doing is not, is you're, you're, you think you're protecting yourself, but you're really suffocating yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the walls you're putting up are, are not helping you, they're hurting you. And yeah. you, you think you need these walls in order to survive, in order to stay here, but it's the opposite. You mm-hmm. know, the, the walls have to, you have to remove the walls. And I needed to hear that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's easy to, to find yourself in a place where, you know, you think you're doing some things to survive, but it's kind of, it's doing the opposite. Kyle didn't expect to be a pastor at Southeast. The opportunity to come there came almost out of the blue. He was pastoring his church plant in California. Things were going great. And then in 2002, we got a phone call. The folks at Southeast asked if he would come in to have a conversation about the role of teaching pastor, which they were looking to fill. And, and so I came down and sat in an elders meeting uh, where I didn't know the elders. They didn't know me. They'd never heard me preach before. Mm. Maybe one or two of them had, but you know, the vast majority had not. And I was supposed to be just kind of a meet, say hello. Uh, and it ended up being a, a several hour conversation of sitting in there. And at some point in that elders meeting, I just had a very a uh, strong sense that, oh, this is this is where God mm. wants us to be. And we prayed about that. And then that night we were at our hotel and two of the elders came over to our hotel, called up to the room and asked me to come down to the lobby. And they said, hey, we voted, you know, unanimously that we would love for you to come do this, mm. to come be the teaching pastor. But but they had not heard me preach before. <laughs> they had not, Southeast, like a lot of larger churches, that's not how it works. Like you do yeah. all your 
due diligence, right? Like you, you make sure yeah. the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and, and you really work hard at, at not being impulsive in such decisions. And, and yet they sensed the same thing I did. Mm. And what's interesting is if they had not done that, I, you know, I don't know what we would have done, but it was exactly what I needed. Like I, I, I knew in order to leave what we were doing in California, I needed something uh, from God that was a really clear indication mm. that um, that this is what He was calling us to. Yeah. And and so when they came down and said, "Hey, no, we haven't heard you preach, and uh, but <laughs> but we we want you to come be the teaching pastor here," wow. uh, that was a that was a really affirming part of God calling us to, mm. to Southeast. And uh, the church in California is called Real Life Church. I don't know exactly. They've got you know, three or four campuses and run 10,000 plus people mm. now and, you know, are, have done tremendous. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine went to be the pastor there when I was done and really took that church through a season I was not gifted to do. I mm. mean, it, it required lots of things like uh, meeting with, uh, you know, city councils and, yeah. and uh, you know, meetings that I, I would have been in trouble. And so <laughs> it was just really cool to see you know, because I took a lot of heat when I left mm. a new church after a couple of years to come to you know a, a large church. I took a lot of a lot of heat for that from you know the church planning community and such. Mm. And it was just really, it was just really beautiful to see that God, you know, God took care of it. It was His all along. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's it's been fun to watch that unfold. Yeah. How big was the church when you left it? Uh, it was a little over. Uh, it was probably twelve hundred. Yeah. I guess that's wild. So you jumped from twelve hundred to. Is it is it fifteen thousand? Is that right? uh, at the time it probably would have been seventeen or eighteen? Seventeen or eighteen? Yeah. What? Uh, so I mean, that's got to feel like you're jumping into a, a spinning engine, right? Right. Like, what what was the transition like? You know, the I, I thought I was going to be really excited to spend a lot of time working on sermons and messages, and mm-hmm. then you know, as I mentioned, I I discovered that I really needed the time with people mm-hmm. at the church planning world. I thought, man, this is, I'm spending so much time with people. I can't preach and teach and prepare the way I want to. Yeah. And then I got here and realized, oh, these two things go together. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't do one effectively without the other, at least yeah. I can't. And, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was different. I, I'm very thankful for you know, so Southeast has a kind of this approach where they they have multiple voices. They've kind of worked hard at mm-hmm. not letting, even though now the church runs you know 25,000 plus, they've worked hard at not letting that revolve around a personality. Mm-hmm. And I would have, if that had not been the case, and I came here at 26, mm-hmm. I would have been in a lot of trouble. You know, <laughs> I, I I'm very thankful for the 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 people in in the church who taught me a lot about being a dad and being a husband and being a mm-hmm. follower of Jesus. Um, I really needed that at age 26. Yeah. I was on a path that what probably wasn't going to be great uh, just because I, I needed some, I needed some more mature mm-hmm. leaders to, to really pour into me. I didn't know it, but I, but mm-hmm. I really did. You know, I, I will say that one of the things that um, as a church planter, I, I came to Southeast and was frustrated initially because of the eldership model that mm-hmm. there was, you know, there's quite a few elders and, um, you know, there was authority there and things like I've never had a church credit card. There's mm-hmm. lots of decisions that I don't have freedom to make. Mm-hmm. And as a church planner, I had a lot of that, you know, necessarily so, but felt constricted by mm-hmm. some of that and rebelled a little bit in my spirit, at least against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the longer I've been here, 
the more I, I'm greatly appreciative of it, mm-hmm. uh, the more I listen and think, yeah. okay, I don't agree with it, but if I've got four of them telling me one thing, I'm probably wrong. Mm. Where I used to kind of reluctantly be okay with it, I embrace it. I'm mm. very, very thankful. I'll read or see things from you know another pastor at another church, and I'll think to myself, man, if I took two steps in that direction, right. I'd have I'd have a half dozen guys at my door. I just would never be able to get away with even going. And I don't want to get into into you no, know, no, specifics. No, no. You step into incredibly sort of established structures of accountability. Right. That had to be one of the biggest transitions from being a church planner because with church planner you're in charge of everything yeah. you know up to a certain up to a certain place what was what what i think allows it to work and allowed it to be effective is that you had this established structure of accountability but the the people who were leading it modeled humility hmm. uh, and i i i'm extremely grateful for that right so hmm. like if i was frustrated or if i had a little bit of an attitude <laughs> in hindsight that was met with more humility and grace than i would have deserved i pushed in ways i probably shouldn't have because of, uh, you know, just a little bit of an attitude. You know, I'm thankful for that, but as much as anything, I'm thankful for the, you know, the humility yeah. that I have seen behind the scenes that yeah. that makes me love it. Uh, that's encouraging. Let's talk a little bit about about writing. Uh, sure. When did you get interested in writing and how, well, when did that emerge? Well, you know, so I, I started in, I guess, in college manuscripting sermons. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I didn't want to get up there and not know what I was going to say. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so by the time I started taking preaching class, we were were going through outlines and different ways to preach. I'd already kind of established a manuscript approach to preaching, Hmm. which if you're doing four or five services on a weekend, it serves you pretty well because, uh, you know, otherwise it can feel quite different one from another. So you still manuscript today? I still manuscript today. Now oh, I'll wow. have, I'll write like 3,300 words and I'll preach like 5,500 words. Okay. So it's not a pure manuscript. Yeah. I leave a lot of room sure. to kind of go off if I, if I want to, but I still, if you just read it as a document, it would yeah. feel like a manuscript. All that to say, that was kind of training me in the, the discipline of writing mm-hmm. in ways that I didn't realize it. What, what was your how did you stumble onto it? Have you always loved writing? Yeah, most of my life okay. I've enjoyed writing and, and enjoyed reading. Uh, okay. So it was kind of those two things always kind of ran together for me. I, I sort of stumbled into writing for the church. Just I was the guy on staff when it was like, oh, we need a paper on this or a position paper or, or we need to write a letter to the Leo. Yeah, <laughs> like I was yeah. The guy. you were the guy. Yeah. I was the guy. So, you know, it was 12 or 13 years into ministry before I felt like I had something to say, yeah. but uh, I always knew I wanted to write at some okay. point. Yeah, yeah. So. And when we, I finished preaching a series here in, oh, I don't know, like 2008, 2009, and, and the series was not a fan. It was a series I did. And then we had a guy in our church um, who worked at Zondervan at the time. His name is Don Gates. And Don came and he said, hey, if, if you will turn that into a book, I'll start trying to get it published. And I didn't know Don at all, but I'm like, well, it kind of takes every excuse I've ever had mm-hmm. off the table to not write. And so, you know, I took those messages, kind of turned it into a book and, and found out that I loved it, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I enjoyed the discipline of it and mm-hmm. uh, the art of it. Yeah. So is, that, is there like a a rhythm for you and, and how you kind of approach it. Yeah, so at the, at the church where I preach, there's, um, you know, I preach a little bit more than half of the time here. So I have, uh, 
you know, half of my weekends for the most part where I'm not preaching. Mm-hmm. So I try to stay in the same rhythm during the week mm-hmm. as I would if I was preaching. I just put some of that attention towards writing. Yeah. So like on a Wednesday and a Friday, I'm spending more time yeah. either working on a sermon or if I'm not preaching, working on uh, a writing. Writing project. That's great. What would you say, again, given the fact that, you know, Southeast is kind of a unique phenomenon. It's a great story in terms of what what it's done in the city of Louisville. And, you know, I grew up here for the most part. I've been in the area since I was 10. And so getting to see Southeast as a, as a real faithful Bible preaching church in a city where there wasn't a whole lot of that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And at the same time, it, it's a big target because it's, because it is so large, you know, in, in terms of the way churches critique and, and all that. I'm curious what you would say, like, what are some of the misperceptions people have about a church like Southeast? You know, what's interesting is um, I, because we're an independent Christian church, the misconceptions that people have, I'm aware of, but I, I don't know a lot about. <laughs> so I'll hear it and it's surprising yeah. to me. I'm like, oh, really? I didn't realize. So I think there could be a, some advantage to not being a part yeah. of a, a denomination or yeah, a particular tribe and that we we just don't have those conversations. Like mm. we're just not in circles where that kind of analyzing takes place. Yeah. I mean, like if, so if I get together with my buddies who are Christian church pastors, man, it's not what we talk about. Like yeah. we, we don't, we don't really critique each other's ministry models or churches. They tend to be encouraging. I mean, we'll talk about tough situations culturally, and we'll talk about, sure. you know, biblical faithfulness and things such as that, but we do not get caught up in tribalism. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't, when I talk to guys who are, are more ingrained in that side of things, they'll use terms and words I've never heard of. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You'll have to tell me what that means. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it but... totally does. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, you know, and it's, it's fascinating for me coming from a, both the Southern Baptist world and like, again, this like reformed world where the reformed world, like they've just got their knives out all the time. And, and I think it gets really gross really fast <laughs> sometimes. So it's interesting to me to hear that you're, your world doesn't operate that way. It's it's not as there's not a critical spirit, you know. Yeah, for the most part, there really part. is not. You know, and I think it's probably like a lot of things where there's stuff where we can learn from each other, right? Like it would probably yeah. uh, be helpful for us to think more along some of those lines. You know, I can tell you that the, the emails and letters I get that are most critical are not from people who are a part of our church or yeah. a part of you know the movement. Oh, I'm that, sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. We're in turbulent times culturally. Things are shifting, you know, daily in terms of where where the pulse of the culture seems to be. For a good 10 years, it seemed like things were swinging leftward in a real hard way. And now they're swinging in a di- another direction. Cultural tribalism in terms of conflict and mm-hmm. uh, the pressures of secularism and progressivism and all of that. I'm curious from, from your seat in terms of pastoring the community that you pastor, what concerns do you have? What do you see? What do you worry about the future? Or where do you find hope in where we are? Yeah, you know, I, I do truly believe there's a lot of opportunity in what you just described. I mean, if I compare kind of first century, the church being established and, and growing to where we are now, I, I think the you know, there's a lot of parallels, right? So mm-hmm. uh, the church did really well in an environment. There was uh, intolerance towards them and where the culture was especially pagan. Certainly that was Paul's 
spirit where he would see these things as opportunities. You know, he recognized opposition that way. I mean, we've been studying through Thessalonians and, you know, he's just not discouraged about that. I, I, and I, I think as a church, the, you know, there is a, a great amount of opportunity for us to model, mm-hmm. you know, the peace and the joy and the love and the hope. It's dangerous. What makes me a little anxious is watching more how Christians react and respond to things on social media, mm-hmm. which I cringe at that. I think we're going to need to address that a lot more mm-hmm. intentionally going forward about as believers, yeah. you know, how we react and respond to the world through mm. our social media platform. I think that's going to be a, a particular challenge, uh, but I also think there's great opportunity in that. Mm. And so I tend to be pretty positive, optimistic by nature, but but I truly believe that the direction things are going culturally positions the church to shine brighter. And it's not just something you know that I'm saying. I, I really believe that that's true. Yeah. I'm excited to see how God's going to uh, redeem those things. Goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. This is our last episode for 2018. We hope you've dug the year and we'll be back right after the new year. And if you enjoyed it, please go leave us a review at iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. Cultivated is a production of Hardware Media and Narrativo. We make podcasts at Narrativo, so check us out at narrativogroup.com. Today's episode was produced by me. It was edited by Quinette Connor. It was recorded and mixed by TJ Hester. Our music is by Dan Phelps and Roman Candle. And we wanted to give special thanks today to Don Gates and Carrie Meyer for making this interview happen. Thanks for listening. we got lots of episodes in the back catalog if you haven't checked them out. And we'll see you in the new year. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.